We're thinking this morning about getting our actions and our words in sync, uh, making sure there's a consistency between what we say and who we are. I want you to listen very carefully to the words of the Apostle Paul uh, to young Timothy from this passage of Scripture in 1 Timothy 6. But you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, faith, love, steadiness, courtesy. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life, the life you were called to, the life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. I'm charging you before the life-giving God and before Christ, who stood his, who stood his, uh, who took his stand before Pontius Pilate and didn't give an inch. Keep this command to the letter and don't slack off. Our master, Jesus Christ, is on his way. He'll show up right on time, his arrival guaranteed by the blessed and undisputed ruler, high king, high God. He's the only one death can't touch, his light so bright no one can get close. He's never been seen by human eyes. Human eyes can't take him in. Honor to him and eternal rule, oh yes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The great 20th century spiritual leader of India, Mahatma Gandhi, was himself very curious about the Christian faith. He had a great deal of respect for Jesus Christ. Uh, he was talking one time to a uh, Methodist preacher and missiologist, uh, uh, an expert in missions, E. Stanley Jones. And uh, Mahatma Gandhi was expressing his curiosity and uh, his, his dream of what would happen in India. And he said that one of his dreams would be that the way of Jesus might be incorporated into the life and culture of India. That the way of Jesus might be organically uh, connected to the life and the culture of India. And so E. Stanley Jones uh, wanted to pursue that conversation and said, well, uh, how do you envision that happening? And Gandhi replied, I would suggest, first of all, that all of you Christians begin to live more like Jesus Christ. Ouch. Uh, but he wasn't trying to be sarcastic. He wasn't trying to be flippant. He was just being earnest and he was being very forthright in what he saw. Now, a little more sarcastic comment with a little bit more edge to it was made one time by George Bernard Shaw, uh, the famous playwright, the, the British uh, gentleman, who once said, Christianity is a good idea, somebody should try it sometime. And that really smarts with a double ouch, doesn't it? Because we all have these blind spots and these, uh, this disconnect between what we say, what we profess, and what, how we actually live. And the, the tragedy is, the blind spot is, that we can always see inconsistency in the other person. Uh, but we can't see it in ourselves. 
I heard the story of a man who uh, came back to the locker room at his fitness center after a good workout, and his towel wasn't on the hook where he'd left it. And he got upset, and he said, I can't believe in a place like this somebody would steal my towel. What is the world coming to that somebody stole my towel in a legitimate place like this? And he turned to some friends, and he said, have you seen it? It's a Holiday Inn towel. I know which one it is. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we can always see inconsistencies in other people, but we can never see it in ourselves? That breakdown between what we say, what we do. And so the Apostle Paul was writing to young Timothy on this very subject, and he sort of talked about both in a very balanced way, and I want you to see this balance on the screen. I want to just show you how the Apostle Paul broke this down for Timothy. Paul said, there are certain things that need to be balanced out. Our behavior needs to be consistent. In verse 11, he said, our life needs to display righteousness and godliness and faith. It needs to display love and endurance and gentleness. And by the way, those, uh, that, those, those two sets of three are evenly divided. The first is what we should, how we should behave to God in righteousness, godliness, and faith. And the second three are how we should behave toward others, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pretty much summarizes everything. But our behavior is backed up by our beliefs. The good confession, Paul calls it in verse 12, and again in verse 13, the good confession. So our words, the good confession, are to support our behavior, our actions, our creed, our good confession, is to be consistent with our deeds, our behavior, our righteousness, our gentleness, our love, all of those things. Creeds and deeds should line up. Words and actions should be consistent. Our, our behavior and our beliefs should line up. And Paul talks about both as being important. Not one or the other, but both. Now, we have to be careful here, and I'm going to do a bracket. And I'm going to ask us to remember that these are not stepping stones of good works to earn our salvation. It doesn't matter how many times I say it, it's never enough. There's always somebody present in a worship service hearing a message that somehow that person thinks that we can earn our standing with God. That if we do enough good things, we earn frequent flyer miles and we get to heaven. But it doesn't work that way. God's love took the first step in salvation. We cannot earn salvation. It's not in us, and we could never earn it that way. It's a gift from God. That's why Paul says in the scripture that we're to grab hold of eternal life. It's a gift from God that we by faith receive. So remember this, a simple rule of thumb, that our good works will never produce a relationship with Christ. It's the other way around. A relationship of Christ with Christ will produce the good works. Our good works can never produce that relationship, but they don't have to because it's that relationship with Christ that in turn produces the good works, and we need to always keep that straight. Creed and deed. Words and action. Belief and behavior. Now, it's interesting that when I first started in the ministry, the focus was on telling our faith. There was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, training that went on 
to train people how to tell people about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be able to do that. But it was, all, it was almost all telling, words, confession. And some saw and honestly believed that there was a lack of emphasis on backing it up with lifestyle, with choices, with behavior. And then the last couple of decades, it's been interesting. Since about the turn of the century, uh, the focus has shifted to our behavior, our, our deeds, our works, that we need to live our faith for people to see it, and that's true too. But we almost act as if words don't matter. All you have to do is live your faith, leave it for people to make up their mind. That's not quite true because in this scripture and lots of other places in the Bible, belief and behavior are balanced out. Creed and deed are both important, and we can no more leave out the words of our confession than we can the deeds of our faith confession. They're both important. And that's why Paul, twice in this scripture, uses the phrase, the good confession. The good confession. Because here's a little drill down into some context in 1 Timothy. From what we read and know bi biographically about young Timothy, he was young and he was bashful and he was uh, a little bit timid. I know it's kind of a play on words, but it's easy, helps you remember. Timid Timothy. He, he was. From other things that Paul told him and from other things we read in the book of Acts, Timothy was a little bit, a little bit shy and a little bit timid about his faith. Let me just pause and ask, anybody here have a problem uh, with the words of your faith? You'd like just your deeds to be all that count and when there are, are opportunities to speak up about Christ, sometimes you let them go because you don't know what to, you don't know what to do. You don't want to be pushy. A friend of mine, Elijah Brown, who's the general secretary of the Baptist World Alliance, uh, used a phrase one time when I heard him speak, and he called it um, bold humility. What do you mean by that? See, in a way, that's an oxymoron, bold humility. But he was really on to something because some of what turns the world off is a lack of humility when Christians try to share our faith and arrogance. But a bold humility works like this. I have such deep respect for you as a person. I deeply value your opinions, which might be different than mine. But I am equally passionate about my own convictions of who Jesus Christ is and what he means to me. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to share with you my deep convictions about Jesus Christ while at the same time holding respectfully your right to see it differently. That is bold humility. And I think something's missing in our Christian witness today because either people veer off in one direction and say all that matters is good works or people veer off in another direction and say, I tell people all the time about Jesus, but in an obnoxious way, and lifestyle doesn't back it up. But it's both, not either or. Now, a very wise and older Apostle Paul told Timothy two times something important about the good confession. 
The first time he says, now Timothy, when you're afraid, when you are reluctant to be bold and consistent in your verbal witness and in your lifestyle witness, he said, you go back to the day you first trusted Christ. That's what he says. I'll read it in the new RSV. To which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He's saying, Timothy, when you, when you feel your knees shaking, you just go back to that day you met Jesus Christ. Or in this case, it may have been when he was baptized because Paul says, you know, don't you remember all those witnesses standing around while you made your good confession? And I would say this morning to us, if you need some more boldness, if you don't feel confident speaking up for Christ, or you don't feel like you're making the right choices morally, uh, and you're sort of wavering, just go back to the day you first met Jesus. Go back to the day when you trusted him as Lord and Savior and, and began following him. Remember your baptism. Remember how you felt. Remember the change, the freshness, the newness, the romance of that. And you go back to that and see if it doesn't pump some adrenaline in your soul and give you courage to be the follower of Jesus that you need to be. But, Paul says to Timothy, when you're frightened, uncertain, knees are knocking, go back even further than your own profession of faith. Timothy, go back to Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. Because Paul says in verse 13, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Let's go back there for a moment. Further back than our own conversion. Than our own confession. What was it like for Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman ruler? He'd been beaten. Jesus had been beaten and bloodied. He'd been made fun of. He'd been spit on. All of his friends deserted him. There was nobody to support him. He wasn't having a good day. He didn't feel the love at that moment. You know, sometimes we're so emotional. I just don't feel the love. I don't feel uh, other people encouraging me. Well, guess what? Sometimes we have to stand alone. And Jesus stood and made the good confession knowing that it would cost him more suffering and it would cost him his life. Paul said to Timothy, whenever you're afraid, whenever you don't think you have it in you, whenever you think it might be rough, you just go back to Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate. I'll never forget, over and over again, my New Testament professor at seminary, Dr. Bill Coble, used to say, we will always get the Christian journey wrong if we forget Jesus' title, Suffering Servant Messiah. If all we start with is Messiah, which means Christ in Greek, if we begin with Messiah and leave the other titles out, we're going to expect a picnic in our Christian journey. But Jesus was and is the suffering servant Messiah. And that means that it might get rough, but we have a Savior who's shown us the way. Now, what does that mean for us? Young people who are here, how tough it is to stand up for Christ in the kind of culture you live in today. And yet, go back 
to the day when you first trusted Christ. Go back to Jesus standing before Pilate. Adults here today, how tough is it at work to be a Christian witness? Or in your neighborhood or with some family members? Just go back to the good confession that you made at your baptism and the good confession that Jesus made. See, Paul's concern here, you read in verse 14, is for the reputation of the gospel. He says, do this so that the commandment will be without spot and without blemish. Paul's concern is our concern for the reputation of the gospel, that we keep the gospel's reputation unsullied, that we keep it clean, that we keep it what it should be and never falsely advertise. But you know what's happened in our culture? A lot of breakdown, disconnect between our creed and our deed. And the world notices. And it's not pretty. I want to show you some statistics. Jean Twingy has written a great deal about uh, the I generation. Uh, she's written a great deal about the younger generations and, and where they stand and how they look at Christians. Adults, uh, she's expanded that out between 18 and 24 years of age. In the United States, 62% of them see Christians as judgmental. 64% of them see Christians as hateful toward gays. 58% of them see Christians as hypocritical. Would you agree with me, based on these statistics, that we have some work to do in our Christian witness? That we have some work to do aligning deeds and creeds to be that consistent witness? Dallas Willard said in one of his books that somehow or other uh, the church today has taken what Jesus made primary and we've made it secondary. What Jesus made primary, Dallas Willard said, is life transformation. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Read the Gospels. What Jesus made primary was life transformation. And we have taken that and we've made it secondary to all of the other church stuff we do. But we are called to that life transformation. To the creeds, the great confession, but to the deeds. One time, uh, mom and dad were about to fall asleep in bed and uh, they heard this thud uh, on the floor in the room next to them and they ran in there and their little boy had fallen out of bed and, and crashed on the floor. It, it kind of woke him up and he was a little bit groggy and they said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I think so. They said, what happened? He said, well, I think I fell asleep too close to where I got in. That's a great description, isn't it? You ever do that? Yeah, Tony's with me. Tony's listening. And when I heard that story, I thought, you know, I know, I know some Christians like that. They give their life to Jesus, and then they fall asleep too close to where they got in. And Jesus wants us to keep following and keep course correcting and, and keep dealing with the stuff, the, the hard stuff of following Jesus, the costly stuff. And he wants us to grow in such a way 
that our verbal witness is not something tacked on because we should, but it naturally flows out of a life that is consistent with the good confession. And when it all comes down to it, folks, there's no magic formula for the Christian life. You know, I, I get a little impatient with Christians who think, you know, every day I should discover something new about following Jesus. Sorry. No. Following Jesus is not about discovering something new every day. Following Jesus is about recommitting to some old stuff. It's about recommitting to the confession, to the beginning, and never getting away from that beginning. Always going back for a recommitment to the old stuff, to the original stuff. We don't have to be tickled and entertained. We don't have to have something new every day. We need to continually recommit to the old and the true. And when we do that, we're refreshed in God's grace. And every day becomes an adventure because we find new ways to live out the old commitment. Now this morning, the invitation, the time of response is very simple. If you are here and you have not yet given your life to Jesus Christ, you have not yet named him and received his gift of eternal life into your life, I'm going to be here at the front, happy to pray with you or answer your questions. We will never force anything on you. Or maybe you're here this morning and the Lord's leading you to make this your church home and you want to come and by coming say, this is where I want to take up the growth part of my Christian life. I want to join here. Maybe right where you stand during the invitation this morning, there would be a time of recommitment of returning to the good confession, of returning to the source of power, of getting, getting acquainted with the Lord again and getting back on track of maybe some things you've let slip. Whatever it is, God's Holy Spirit is here to help us. Let's pray together. Lord, hear our prayer as we open our hearts to the mystery of your work, knowing that each of us can find something new that your Spirit is working in us, and that something new will be very, very old and very, very true and strong. So just give us the courage and the curiosity to be open to you. Through Christ I pray. Amen.